Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and the position I would take on a bomb squad, hmm, well, not to brag, but I can tell blue wires from red wires, so that would probably be my job. I'm Caitlin, and nobody wants me anywhere near their bomb squad. I don't even know what the different members of a bomb squad are. And <laughs> yeah, wait, I thought, I thought we meant, I thought we meant bomb, like, cool, like, like on a bomb <laughs> okay, squad, okay. you know? See, see, I feel like that's worse than me just admitting that I didn't know. Kristen actually <laughs> thought it was something else entirely. So. Well, we each are answering our own questions. This is great. <laughs> what, so what would you be on either a version of a squad? <laughs> On a bomb squad? Well, on a bomb, like a cool person, a group of people, it depends on what the people were doing. Like if it's a squad of people playing volleyball, I would be the person cheering in the audience. If it was a group of people who were stealing stuff, I would probably be the one who was masterminding also from the audience. If I, <laughs> So participation <laughs> trophies are, are... I'm great from the background. I'm not great at the actual stealing part. Hey, at least so not is Palpatine, I... so power <laughs> to ya. I'm Kristen, and if I were on a bomb squad, uh, <laughs> I, I would like to be sort of like the Parker character from Leverage, where I'm like a crazy thief and I can get away with stabbing somebody with a fork, but I think in reality, I would probably be someone who goes to the squad for help and like has to get them to solve my problems. Very nice. Very nice. Well, now that we've covered, you know, every aspect of a bomb squad, this podcast, we're going to be talking about how to make your character squad up or team dynamics. So we decided we have to do an obligatory nod to six of crows and Aurora burning or Aurora rising because we talk about those a lot, but by squad books, we mean, what would you guys say? Kind of heisty, Multiple Not fun, necessarily. characters. Well, I was thinking in general, any group of characters where your main ensemble is more than just like one or two people. So this can include anything from our awesome heisty stuff, which of course I'm a fan of, to something a little more contemporary like Jellicoe Road or The Raven Boys, which I also talk about a lot because it's also a squad book. Basically just an ensemble novel where the main characters have to have a lot of close, tight interactions with each other and that their relationships with each other is sort of like the important part. And would you say these books have to be from multiple characters' point of view? Or is remind me, is Raven Boys all from Blue's perspective? Uh, Raven Boys is everybody's. Okay, it's that's third person, but each book sort of focuses on a different character a little bit more than the others. Aurora Burning is is all first person, but but from different characters. Jellicoe Road is first person from one character, but I think I count it because the friendships is like the really important part. Not necessarily that we see all of their perspectives, but that all their perspectives are really important to the story. I think I agree. Like, I mean, for example, we talk about The Way of Kings a lot, too, and I would say that's a squad book. At least parts of it are. I mean, it's too big to be any one kind of book other than an epic fantasy. But all of the Kaladin Bridge 4 stuff is definitely squad, and they're not stealing anything. That's true. Actually, Brandon, I think, describes it as an underdog sport team, sports team, except that they're dealing with people shooting at them instead of basketball. So, <laughs> Even more exciting. So, uh, listeners, if a squad book is the kind of book you want to write, we fully support. Some of our favorite books are squad books. So let's take it from the beginning, then. When you want to assemble a team, how do you go about assembling that? 
I think the most important thing is to give them all a reason to be together. And that can be that they are all going to steal one thing together, you know, like in Six of Crows. It can be if we don't squat up, we're going to die, like in Way of Kings. It can be all of us have the same motivation and same goal. And so we're going to work together even though we don't like each other. Like if you give the characters a reason to be in the same space where they all have the same... I mean, like, there's so many sports movies where they're like, we're the underdogs and we have to win because if we don't, then insert your consequence here. Like, all of those books, a squad forms because they all have a, a common goal. I think something else to keep in mind is that part of what makes a squad interesting is that all of your characters are going to have different characteristics and a lot of those are going to complement each other or clash with each other. For instance, if you have Matthias, who's a bit of a prude, you pair him with Nino, who is definitely not, and make it so they hate each other but have to stick together to survive. Or if you've got your straight-laced pilot leader, you make him have to fight by side side by side with the woman who could tear his jugular out with her teeth. <laughs> what are you referencing there? <laughs> uh, that one is Aurora Burning. That's a little spoilery, so I had to uh, make it Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about though. You, right? I loved having that pairing. Or you take a rich kid who has a bunch of money and no family and you make them be best friends with a guy who's super poor and has the biggest family you can imagine, like Harry and Ron, and you get really interesting tension and you sort of get to see these people in, in circumstances that stretch them and that makes it an interesting book. So you're saying uh, kind of intentionally handpick these different aspects that you want, aspects that would clash together. Yeah, I, I think that's totally a thing that can work. We're fans, some, some of us are fans of TV tropes, uh, <laughs> and they have pages about kind of how team dynamics based on the number of characters work. So like, if you've got five main characters, there's the five man band. You can look that up and see examples and what it means, or the four temperament ensemble, or the power trio. And, and basically all of those tropes are just a set of different personalities that have to interact and react with each other. And it's really easy if you want to build a, a group of characters to go on there, see what works and what you like, and then sort of adjust to, to your heart's content. And maybe it feels like cheating, but it's not cheating because they're tropes because they have worked historically and you tropes are just a really good building block for telling a good story. I really well, like I mean, that. Tropes aren't inherently bad. Tropes are just um, consistent things that we see in stories because they're consistent things we see in life, right? Exactly. And I, I want to build on what you said already. I mean, Kristen, you mentioned that um, having interesting pairings between characters is important, but I also think that if you're going to write a squad book, it's really important to have a variety of characters, characters in general. Like mm -hmm. you can't really write a squad book about a bunch of cheerleaders who all think the same boy is cute and all have the same personalities. I don't know why I chose that particular thing, <laughs> but you know, um, because internalized misogyny, that's why. <laughs> Um, but I mean, it's not very interesting to have a bunch of people who see things exactly the same way or react the same way. Like it's fun to have your comic relief and your person who sees things only in black and white and your person who can't handle stress or whatever, because those things force the characters to actually interact and play off each other and rely on each other. Whereas if everybody's exactly the same, you kind of don't have a story because story is conflict. Yeah. That's a great so. point. And, and I mean, just just in defense of of books about girls who do share lots of similar interests uh i grew up reading the click um i got coerced <laughs> into reading those books by my friends and it's about a bunch of rich girls at a school in greenwich connecticut and 
even though they have a lot of things in common, there's still a ton of tension because you've got like the scholarship kid, you've got like the ringleader. So yeah, I, I just totally agree with what you're saying. Well, even if they have similar things life that they stories. like, do you have mm-hmm. different personalities? Oh, you that have are, to. Yeah. yeah. I was actually just thinking of like Gilmore Girls, like Logan's mm-hmm. little clique, where you have Finn and you have, I can't remember their names. The Australian is Finn and then you have Logan and then you have the other guy. Who's the other guy? I can't remember either, but they all come back for the, for the, I, the, the seasons, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I know who you're talking about, but I can't think so of the name. They all are super rich, spoiled, stupid boys <laughs> who do really stupid, spoiled, rich things all the time, but they all have very significantly different personalities. Like Colin, Colin's the other one who whines about everything. He's really super smart and is really whiny. And they have Finn who does insane things all the time. And they all have to like take care of him and make sure he doesn't kill himself. And then you have Logan, who's kind of like the mastermind. I am super hot and everyone loves me, though. I can't figure out why because you. But like, <laughs> like they all have their distinct places in this little hierarchy. So, so at this part in assembling your team, it's kind of like if any of you follow the three act plot structure, it's basically if you've been to a corporate teamwork leadership conference, they'll teach you about forming, storming, something norming, performing. Anyway, you're in the forming stage. So <laughs> you pick these characters and you kind of present them in like a like a fashion show. They come by and at this point it's really important for the author at least to understand the differences between them. And when writing your story, you can wait to reveal those to the reader, but you as the author should at least be aware um, of your differences in your characters, where they're coming from, their different motivations. And then that will lead great into the next section um, where you have them storm or norm or conform, something like that, perform. There's something going on past the forming. So once you have your cast of characters assembled, how do you turn them from random puzzle pieces into an actual cohesive unit, a team? What do you do to make them congeal together? The thing I thought of first was make them have to confront their vulnerabilities. I, I just feel like squads and teams in general become stronger when they have to see each other at their low points and sort of help each other over that. So like think Shalon and Kaladin sharing their tragic backstories as they shelter from a storm or This is a trope, but it works. Right? Yeah. Or or yeah. also a trope, uh Henry Chang taking Gansey into a hole and exposing him to the bee because that's their two biggest fears. Or has when he's got his like bare skin breakdown i don't well i actually don't know if that helps him get closer to anybody so we might have to scratch that i think that actually creates a rift but the it point is the story to move forward and exactly him to confront the problem though yeah and, which then later later leads him to much closer relationship with Inej. it's true that that's a good way to put it thank you for <laughs> fixing my <laughs> My analysis. It's been a long time since I've read this book, so I'm sort of running on uh, bad memories. <laughs> no. Bad memories. She didn't like the book, no. guys. Clearly, I loved the book. Uh, bad memories, meaning my memory is faulty as heck. <laughs> so the idea being behind this step is to take your characters from separate sides of the wall and put them together facing the wall, right? So, you know, you give them a common enemy, you make them reveal each other, you have them... You force them to begin to build history together so they they have a shared life instead of all their different lives. That's such a good way to put That's it, Aaliyah. That's so touching. <laughs> well, and I was thinking about this too. Like the really great teams that you get excited about are the ones that you see 
either right after they formed. Like, I love Firefly. For all its many interesting problems, Firefly is really fun to watch because I like watching the characters all play their specific parts in the crew. And I know that they like each other and that they're going to build each other up and whatever regardless even stupid parts of the team like jane like they they all have their place and that's a team that's already formed so you can start with a team that's already there and then you just show them and their part in that team or you can force them to squad up and um like i think it would be really fun to see there are some origin stories in firefly but like what put them but what made them trust each other so much? And and if you are forming a squad, then that's what you're doing. You're saying, what makes these people trust each other so much? You get to show it on the page. Yeah, Le- Leverage is a similar show in that you've got this group of heisty thieves stealing, but you see them in their first, like when they first group together is in that first episode. And so over six seasons, you see them from the beginning until the end. And it's mm-hmm. delightful. Um, it's also getting rebooted. So for anybody who <laughs> loves leverage, uh, same actors minus Nate plus, uh, Noah Wiley. So like, it's gonna be great. I think there are a lot of squads that come from the we are already a squad perspective. Mm-hmm. And the fun part is watching the squad do stuff. Like, I mean, Ocean's Eleven, that's a total squad where they come from a place of trust in the first place. Um, and then the interesting part is watching them all play off each other, but watching them each do their individual jobs. Like they all fit together because of their expertise. But then there's also stuff like Aurora Rising, which they have to become the team. And that's the fun part to watch. Yeah. So. Or the disasters, which is also getting turned into a TV show. So <laughs> we're really keyed into the, the adaptations today. <laughs> I, I, I really, was. well, okay. Shadow and bone, the announcement oh, came out true. today. Uh, this will date this episode for anybody, but it did make me happy. So I've just been thinking a lot about adaptations. Wait, the announcement came out. I thought that was well, not like the announcement, but Netflix officially like out. revealed okay. Okay. the logo. You hear Ben Barnes's voice. Uh, it's really, there's not much, but it was enough to make me feel better about the fact that Chaos Walking got pushed back to March. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's fine. Yeah, it was supposed oh, to be January yeah, and it's March. I've been waiting since 2010. It's fine. Let's continue. I don't know if I can watch that. You don't think you can watch it? No, I love the book so much. And I really like Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. And so maybe it'll be okay. But like, it's Mads Mikkelsen though. Like he's going to be so good at being the mayor. I, I, I guess there's so many like great things about it. I just need to make sure I don't reread the books before I watch it because like, you know how adaptations are a new thing and you have to Mm -hmm. take them for what they are rather than trying to compare them to the book. I just love the book. Like I couldn't watch a monster calls, which is also by, yeah, I haven't seen it. It's one of the best books like of, I love so much and I can never watch that movie because like you just can't do better than that. And I don't want it to be ruined by the movie. That's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I feel like I owe it to 14-year-old me. So even if the movie is terrible, there's part <laughs> of me that's just going to be like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. I will pay <laughs> as much money as you want. <laughs> I will watch it, but I just won't reread the books first. <laughs> so we've assembled our team. We've put them through some crisis points. Um, Just to reroute us back to to what we were on, Um, I think it, that's a really good point that you're – team squad exploration doesn't have to be from the beginning it can be in the middle part of what we love for reading squad books is the complexities that come as the different characters kind of crash against each other smooth each other out so really that's just fun to see at any point mm-hmm. um do we want to do a combination too by the way six of crows is a combination you have kaz and an which are already team along with uh 
Nina is on the team, but then they add in Matthias and uh, Wyatt and Jesper. I can't remember. No, Jesper's already on the team. Willen? Too, so it's is his name Willen? Wyland? I, no, I, I think it's Wyland. W. Something with a W. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The bomb guy. The, yeah, the but bomb he, guy. Yeah. He's on, a bomb He's on the bomb squad. Um, <laughs> he is the bomb squad. He is the entirety of the bomb cool. squad. <laughs> but so it's okay to to introduce new elements into an already established gang, which adds its own sets of. I mean, that's what the Raven Boys does too. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Except it's from the perspective. Well, I guess it's not really from Blue's perspective, but it kind of is. I love that one because Blue is so like diametrically opposed to Gansy. It's so <laughs> funny about it, and it's great. Beautiful. So a common feature of a lot of squad books, but certainly not all of them, is the kind of quirky banter and witty in-team repartee that we get. And that's something I really enjoy. Um, for people wondering whether they should include that or how to do that, do we have any tips? I have one. First of all, don't try to write it like a movie or a TV show. If you are writing a book, you need to make sure that your dialogue is not taking the place of a scene or of exposition and it's not slowing it down. Because like if you're watching a movie, you can like burn through dialogue super, super fast and it can be done while characters are doing something. But if you try to do that in a book, you have to be really careful. Like, yes, yes, funny repartee. I don't know how to pronounce that. Repartee? I am a reader at heart and I as don't know how to As long as we all say words. it the same way, we all sound intelligent. <laughs> like, that is awesome, but it's really easy to put in too much and to have it drag your book so it makes it go a lot slower than it should. I agree. I'll add a, a quick caveat to that, however. Um, I think watching witty TV shows and movies is a great way to kind of hone your own wit. For me, at least, the more fluffy content I absorb, the more my mind starts to think like that. But Caitlin makes a great point, you know, take it for what it is. Let those TV shows fill your minds full of woody stuff. But certainly books are a different medium. Well, yeah, absolutely. Like absorb all the content you can so you can see what is possible and what you want to accomplish. Like some of the projects I've done that I've loved the most have been directly inspired by something that I liked that I was like, I would like to create that feeling right there. That's exactly what I want to do. I just have to do it with different characters, different situation. However, it's like Aaliyah just said, if you try to recreate something that works in one medium in a different one, you have to actually change the way it functions because they don't. Just like we were talking about with adaptations, like with um, Chaos Walking, the reason I don't want to watch it is because I'm afraid of what they will do to it. But if they tried to do it exactly the way the book did it, then it wouldn't work as a movie. So It's true. I think my general thought with Woody Banter is I love Woody Banter, but I think it's really important to keep in mind this is going to sound like I'm bashing Marvel, but I I don't mean to bash Marvel, but there's sort of like this formula in Marvel movies where you do something punchy, there's a big scary action, somebody says something funny, you get a laugh, you go back to the action, there's another laugh. Like, like you can anticipate when the witty line is going to happen if you've seen enough of them. And I think when it comes to books, my personal opinion is that keeping in mind who your characters are, where they come from, and what they're doing is going to really help you land the the punchline because you're going to get the voice right, but also because it it's going to save you from uh, overdoing the the humor. Because there are some situations where your character just is not going to want to be funny, even if it would be the appropriate mm-hmm. moment in a movie. Your character should not be necessarily cracking a joke for an audience. Um, I, I don't know. I just feel like superheroes are self-aware. Like, like they, they have, they don't have the privilege of being fully functioning humans because 
they're always aware there's an audience because that's how the writers function. <laughs> but as a book, I don't know. I just expect better from everybody. <laughs> well, I think that that depends on what genre you were writing. It's true. Part of the reason people like Marvel movies so much, even though they are really predictable, is because they like the familiarity of it. They're like, mm-hmm. I know exactly what I'm buying. I can plan to be amazed by the fight scenes and the choreography and also that it will make me laugh and and it's okay and if you're not like a super critical viewer maybe you aren't anticipating it as much like i remember sitting down in what's the last one the infinity war is that the second to last one what's the last one Endgame. Endgame. yeah within the first five minutes i was like he's gonna die this guy's going to do this and this guy's going to, I mean, it's really predictable. It is. And most people aren't watching that critically, but depending on who your audience is, like if you write romance, people are expecting something specific. So like, it's okay to be a little bit predictable in those situations. But if you're writing something like, like if you're the Maggie Stiefvater that's coming up out of the the slush pile right now, like people don't want to anticipate what's going to be happening in your books because they want to be surprised. That's part of the fun. So just know what you're writing and make sure you absorb a lot of the stuff in that genre. So you know what it is that you should be doing. That's a great point. One other thing about quirky banter that I would just add is that running gags can help a team feel more like a team. If you've got inside jokes, use the inside jokes. Everyone constantly forgetting Toph is blind. It's amazing. Do that with your own characters. All right. Well, that's our time for this part of the episode. So we'll just say we love squad books. Squads are a wonderful opportunity for drama. Go forth and produce squads, please. Um, moving on to the next portion of our podcast where we critique an audience submission. Quick review of how we critique. We keep these non-prescriptive, which means we just talk about our reactions to the story and let you decide for yourself how to fix it. But you can see all our notes for yourself and view the manuscript as well on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. A summary of this week's chapter. Era, a slave to a line of dragon kings, watches for enemies approaching across the bay. And there's spooky fog, which I really liked. <laughs> what are some things we liked about this submission? Well, I'll say that I did love the spooky fog, the spooky ambiance. I was totally there for that. The, the magic, the weird creatures lurking out of sight, the promise of the Karamudi. I have no idea if I said that right, but they're like freaky dragon things. And I just think there's a very strong, cohesive aesthetic to this chapter. Absolutely. I thought the world building was handled really well. It was very intriguing and it was integrated really well. There are a couple of asides that explain things, but it's definitely set up in a way that it's bite-sized and I'm absorbing things as I go. And I really liked that. Somebody might argue with me on that, but I, I thought it was really well done. I also love the world building. Uh, it's really clear this author has taken a lot of time to sit down and flesh out their world. It didn't feel skin deep. I felt like there was a lot to explore here. Um, like Caitlin mentioned, a lot of little world building details. There's something called the dragon taint that is driving the kings mad. And that is so intriguing. And maybe this main character has some of that taint. She's got some weird modeling on her skin that kind of moves around, um, which was very freaky and very cool. Very intriguing. Yeah, I loved the modeled hand magic system thing going on because it felt like that was connected to the fact that she was allowed to take care of the Karamudi, maybe? I don't know. Mm -hmm. We haven't gotten all of our answers yet. But the dragon taint was very intriguing and like the contagious madness that comes with that taint seems really intriguing. I really liked the comparisons between the Karamudi, which are these very scary like wolf dragon dog things that the character is constantly comparing them to the princess she serves. I thought that was a really great... We didn't get to see the princess, but I know exactly what kind of person she is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. And I really loved uh, on the Carrie Moody again, something that was really cool about them is they have shadows that don't do the same things that they do, which was very intriguing and cool. What are some things that could use a second look? So I think one of my top concerns with this is that we find out details a long time after we need to know them. So so we're in this situation, in this world, we don't know anything about it, and we're in a classic state of like something weird is happening, but because I don't know what normal looks like in this world, I don't know how I should react to this. I don't know how weird it is. For instance, there's a part where the Karamudi start changing shape, and it didn't worry me because I don't know anything about Karamudi, and so I was like, ah, shape-shifting, that's normal. And Era doesn't react right away until she goes, wait, this is weird. And I think having a more immediate and sort of visceral emotional reaction to that could help me understand better where we're at. I also, I had the same sense about like the modeling on her hands where we're told that it's normal for a certain type of person to have, but Era has it. And for some reason on her, it's weird and bad. And So I I just think that in order to disrupt normal for readers, we have to be given a really clear vision of what normal looks like in this world. I'll agree with that. Yeah, I I do too. I think that in general, especially when we're building tension about the the fog over the lake and the creatures that are in it that are coming and the Karamudi and the modeling and all of that, like she's kind of the main character era is kind of low key terrified of everything that's happening around her because she's an enslaved person who is at risk all the time. She's worried about the soldiers harassing her. She's worried about the princess. She's worried about the care. She's worried about everything. And so when we're introducing new things to be scared of, I'm like, okay, so this is another normal thing for her to be scared of, or is this a new, like a new scary thing? And so, yeah, I had a really hard time knowing what was new, what's different today. I definitely noticed that same feeling, and I think I'll even come at it from a different direction. I loved all the world building, but because there's so much, it almost for me was too mixed into the chapter in that um, I felt we were focusing on one thing with Era, and then we went and focused on another thing before I had a clear vision of what was going on. Bordering into prescriptivism, I would say maybe just more fleshing out of what is going on. So taking things a little bit slower, giving us a clearer view tackling one issue at a time because I think for me it just felt like I was I was hopping between too many different things. Yeah, it made it difficult for me to understand why Era is the way that she is. So like we we know some things about her. We know that she's a slave and that she got whipped for something as simple as standing in the wrong spot at some point. But on page 2, she sort of makes a sassy comment under her breath where the soldiers could hear her and I wondered like why is she making this decision when like my understanding of her and her world at that point was that she was careful because she had to be careful. And so I had a hard time buying that she was acting the way she was acting um, just because I didn't know enough to know like why, why today is she making this comment and rather than any other day. And, and I think I had the same issue later on when she leaps for the guards to save their lives and, they start yelling at her like, what are you doing? And she doesn't say anything to be like, hey, you guys are in danger. I just saved your life. And I didn't understand why she didn't say something like that. I had notes on those two places as well. Um, I had a couple of bigger confusing things. And it might be because I am a poor reader. So you guys can argue me- with me if you want. But so the Karamudi, they're these things that they keep in cages. They're super dangerous. And by the end of the chapter, they are so dangerous that they are getting out of their cages and they're going to eat the main character or kill the main character or absorb them. Ma- I'm not sure what they do to people, but it doesn't seem like it's great. So 
I was wondering if caribou are so dangerous that even their keeper, who is this girl, are not able to go anywhere near them, then why are they there? Like, what are they keeping them for? What's the value add of having these scary creatures on the bridge? It's for the aesthetic, Caitlin. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure there is a reason, but I would love to know what it was. No, I agree. Um, okay. Um, also when the vice admiral, so she, she walks down this wall. She's like, I have to take care of these stupid creatures. And then she goes through and she's like, I'm still scared of the stupid creatures. And I'm also scared of the, uh, the soldiers that are around here. And then the vice admiral walks her out toward the wall and they look at the fog, which has these creatures coming at it, coming out of it or not coming out of it, lurking inside of it. It's very scary. Something's happening. I don't all the way understand what is happening, but I'm not sure why he took her over to the wall. I'm similarly not quite sure why he left her there and what even she's supposed to be doing. Like, yeah, she sits there. And at first I was like, oh, she has special powers. So she'll be able to send up an alarm or she's an expendable person. So if she sees it first and gets killed, they won't care as long as they get everybody else, you know, away and out of danger or whatever. But she's not down there by herself. There are soldiers down there. And I just don't know what she's doing. I'll say that before, before we got to the Karamudi being super weird. My initial thought, because I wanted the same thing. I was like, why is she talking to the vice admiral? Why is this relationship a thing at all? She worries mm-hmm. that like he's expecting her to repay him for something, but yeah, we I don't see them what. inter, we don't see them interact until page six. And then their relationship is very different than what I thought it would be. But my initial thought was that like she was spying on the princess and reporting to him, but that never played out. And so I sort of had the same question of like, what is their relationship? Why is their relationship? How is their relationship? I just, I, I was a little confused about those bigger details too. That's mm-hmm. our time. Does anybody have any final thoughts? Just on a very small technical level, uh, sometimes the, the paragraphs, I couldn't figure out how they flowed from one thought to the next. So just, that's a really tiny nitpicky detail, but just something to keep an eye on. All right. Those are our notes then. And thanks so much to this author for submitting. We enjoyed reading your work. Um, This is our last discussion episode of the year, but we'll be back next year bright and early with special guest Namina Forna, author of the upcoming epic fantasy YA novel, The Gilded Ones. If you'd like a critique from Namina, submit your work by January 14th. If you like what you've heard today, please check out our new Patreon page where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques and early access and participate in a writing group with lit service crew members. You can also watch the video version of us recording these and you can see Kristen's shoes. Ooh, Kristen's shoes. (laughs) (laughs) It takes a whole team of creatives to make lit service and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome or wonder about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thank you to our intern, Lindsay Owens, and thanks to you, dear listeners, for listening to Lit Service. We will see you in two weeks.